You know, we just sang forever rain. God, you forever rain. I want you to think about what you just sang, what you just spoke to God. God, you're reigning. Is he reigning today over every area of your life? Another way to say that is, have you surrendered your life anew and afresh fully to Jesus Christ? Because actually, that's the very thing that we're going to be talking about today. We're in this sermon series called Deeper, right? And so we're going to be talking about going deeper in surrender. Now, the minute I say the word surrender, if you're like me, and I'm certainly like me, so I'm including myself in this, okay? You hear the word surrender, and your first thought, I know my first thought is, that's not my cup of tea. We like winners. I mean, think about it. Are you going to be watching any of the football games today? I got news for you in case you hadn't heard the news. Don't want to spoil anything for you, but the Cowboys are out of it, okay? And so, so now, have you chosen another team? I'm kind of going with San Francisco because of Brock Purdy. I, I know, but, th- but you know, he's a Christian. The last person chosen in the draft, and now he's playing. Man, I'm just kind of a, on the Brock Purdy bandwagon right now. But let me ask you this, whatever team you chose, whoever's hissing me there, okay, you've got another team. How many of you that have chosen a team, you're going to be rooting for the team, that you're rooting for your team to lose, to just come halftime, just surrender, throw up the white flag, we give up. I mean, we love winners. That's why we say things like winners never quit and quitters never win. We love people like Winston Churchill. Now, students, y'all may or may not be all that familiar with Winston Churchill, but I'm telling you, my generation, the generations that went before me are, I mean, prime minister of Great Britain during the darkest days of World War II. And Winston Churchill didn't just inspire his nation, he inspired basically the world, an entire generation of people when he stood up at his alma mater on October 29, 1941, and he spoke these words that have just lived on and inspired many. He said, never give in. Never give in. Never, 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 never. In nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. And he goes on. And those words inspired a generation. They're so... Uh, Braveheart-esque, aren't they? We, we, don't, we don't surrender. We don't yield. We don't give in. And so let's just echo the words of Winston Churchill unapologetically this morning. May we never yield. May we never surrender to fear, to temptation, to hate, to greed. Can we all agree on that and just say amen to that? But at the very same time, May we never become so proud and stiff-necked that we forget how to surrender our will to God's will. See, here's the reality. Whereas surrender to our enemy is never good, surrender to our king is always good. 
Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Have you ever thought about what gospel did he preach? And I just always assumed he probably preached like the four spiritual laws and the four spiritual laws are wonderful and they are true and it is a great gospel to preach, but it's not exactly the way Jesus preached the gospel. He didn't come saying, hey, God created man's sin. I came and I died on a cross so that you could have life. You need to respond by repenting and believing me. No, no, he presented the gospel in a little bit of a different way and here's the way Mark records the gospel that Jesus preached. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And here's the gospel that he proclaimed and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. When you hear kingdom, I just want you to hear the word yield. When you hear kingdom, I want you to hear the word surrender. And Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God is crashing into earth. And all of those, once the kingdom of God has fully come, at the end of days, all of those who remain, all of those who shall be citizens of the kingdom, those who have not been banished eternally to hell, separated from God, those who remain are those who have surrendered, yielded their life to their king, whose name is Jesus. That's a little bit different than a forgiveness-only gospel, right? If you'll pray a prayer, Jesus will forgive your sin and send you to heaven. And that's true. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But, but it doesn't bring in this idea of surrender. And I'm just telling you, Jesus, when he preached the gospel, he said, hey, the heart of the gospel is surrender. Yielding your will to God's will. Surrender yielding the control of your life to Jesus Christ. See, the gospel Jesus preaches is a little bit different than the consumer gospel that we so often hear, right? If you'll ask Jesus to come into your life, Jesus will bless you and he'll become your fairy godmother and you just pray and he'll give you your three wishes. He just wants you to have your best life now. Listen, God does come so that we might have life and have it more abundantly, but does he not also say that if we follow him, we will suffer? Does he not also say that we are strangers in a strange land and we will never really be at home in this world? Uh, see, the gospel that Jesus preached is a gospel that declares at the heart of following Jesus, surrendering to Jesus, as your king, your sovereign. See, those who follow Jesus learn to master the art of surrendering to Jesus. As a matter of fact, surrender is the key to spiritual formation. It's as we fully yield our will to his will, our desires to his desires, our opinions to his word, it's as we obey what he says and not just what we want that God begins to form in us the character of Jesus. He forms us in the ways of Jesus. We see that in an Old Testament character by the name of Job. On one occasion, here's what God said of Job. Listen to this. And the Lord said to Satan of all 
of the beings in the universe. He says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? <laughs> There's none like him on the earth. A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. You talk about a person who was formed in the character of God, formed, as we would say in the New Testament, in the ways of Jesus. Job is that man. See, when God says Job was blameless, the root word there is complete. That just means that God had done a work in Job's life. God had completed so much of the formation of Job's character. It doesn't mean that Job was sinless. It just means that Job was surrendered. And when he says that Job was upright, the word upright means to be just what it says. Job was right before God. Job was in line with God. Job's words were in line with God's words and Job's thoughts in line with God's thoughts and Job's priorities in line with God's priorities. Job's character in line with God's character. I, I really believe we could describe blameless and upright like this. And remember, this is God's description of Job. It means if you'd been a contemporary of Job, you had lived in that day, or if Job lived in our day and you were a contemporary of Job, and, and, and you just had the opportunity to be around Job, maybe y'all worked at the very same place and you saw the way he treated others at the office, both those who were over him and those who were under him and those who were coworkers. You, you, you were a neighbor of Job's and you shared a backyard fence. You were a guest in his home and you saw the way that he treated Mrs. Job, or maybe your kid played on Job's soccer team that he coached. What it's saying is, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have seen much daylight between Job's character and God's character. Between what God teaches us to do in his word and what Job actually did in his life. He was blameless and upright, not sinless, but yielded, surrendered to God. You see, character matters to God. Being formed in the ways of Jesus matters to God. He wants you to be formed in his ways. Paul taught us, I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. When you hear living sacrifice, I want you to think surrender. Students, I want you to think surrendered, yielded. Isn't that what it means uh, to offer your body as a living sacrifice? You're saying, God, I give you all of me. I give you my thoughts. I give you my time, my talent, my treasure. I give you my priorities. I give you my values. God, I, by offering my body as a living sacrifice, I'm declaring that your will is more important than my will. Your thoughts are more important than my thoughts. And then notice what God says through Paul. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
God says, do you realize the heart of worship is surrender? Whether you are standing and raising arms in praise of Jesus or whether you are worshiping by bowing on your knees and confessing your sin and asking God for wisdom, whether raised arms or bowing on your knees, the heart of worship is saying, God, I surrender. I yield my will to your will. I commit myself to walk in your ways, not in my desires. He said, this is real worship. And then what does God do when we surrender? He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Do you see what happens? When we are yielded to God, surrender to God, then God begins to complete us. You remember the word blameless? It means to be complete. He just begins to take us and, and we become like putty in his hand and he shapes us in the character of Jesus, in the ways of Jesus, in the character of God. So let me... Let me just stop right here and ask you to do something crazy. I uh, often share my message with Kim, translation, I'm preaching it, she walks in, she listens, and then she gives me pointers. And so this, this idea is totally from her. So if you think this is bonkers, I agree, it's hers. If you think it's brilliant, I'm the one who agreed to do it. So that, here's what I want you to do. I'm gonna ask you to bow your head right now. Sermon's still going on, we got a good 15 minutes to go. Bow your head, close your eyes, and would you just pray this prayer right now? The rest of the sermon is gonna be far less meaningful to you if you don't pray this prayer and hear God giving you some sort of answer. God, I want to be like Job, blameless and upright. And I know to do that, I have to be surrendered to you, yielded. Would you show me, here's the prayer, would you show me an area of my life that I am not surrendering to you? And just listen for an answer. Is it your language? Is it your thoughts? Is it the way you're treating your spouse? Is it the priorities you're, you have? Is it time, talent, treasure? Or is it something else entirely? Just pray, God, will you show me? I want you to say of me, this person is blameless and upright. To get there, I know I've got to surrender. Show me where I'm not surrendered. Lord, would you show us, would you bring to every heart and every mind an area of our life that we have been reserving, holding back, from your control. Show us, Lord, please, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if God brought something to mind, here's a legitimate question for you to ask and for me to ask. How in the world do we pull off surrendering that to Jesus? Because if it was easy, we'd have already done it, amen? 
So how did Job surrender in such a way that God could form him in the character of Jesus, the ways of Jesus, so that he's blameless and upright? I'm telling you, God tells us right here in his description of Job, the key to surrender, the essence of surrender. Here's how to do it. Here's what it looks like. Number one, it says of Job that he fears God. See, that's the first step to full surrender. You want to know how to surrender? You've got to make the decision to fear God. And I'd love to tell you, oh, that's not trembling before God, but there's an essence of it that means exactly that. You tremble before God. You, you place what God says above what anyone else says. It means that you honor God. You listen to God. You value God's opinions over the opinions of anyone else. You value what God says over what anyone else says because you know that God is the king. And he deserves your respect. He deserves your undivided attention. And he deserves for you and me to say, God, not my will, but your will be done. God, your ways are higher than my ways. God, your knowledge is beyond my knowledge. So I'm gonna go with what you say instead of what I think. I'm gonna go with your will instead of my way and my desire. That's what it means to fear God. It's the opposite of what so many people do in our day. And students, I, I, I'm telling you guys, y'all are facing what I'm about to talk about more than any generation that's gone before you, at least in my lifetime. You're living in the midst of a generation, but, but by the way, if you think I'm picking on y'all, no, 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 my generation, we're, we're the ones that taught y'all how to do this, okay? But, but, it's amazing how people open the word of God and instead of fearing God, we start negotiating with God. We read what God says and we go, hmm, I don't know if I agree with that or not. You ever done that? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> hmm, I'm not sure I wanna do that. And we, we start negotiating with God. And we start deciding, okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that and I'm gonna ignore that and I, I'm gonna agree with this and I'm gonna disagree with that. And I'm sorry, that's just not me. I, no, I can't do that. I, I, I'm, I'm gonna obey here and I'm gonna ignore here. The, listen, that's not fearing God. That's actually telling God, God, I just want you to know who's the real king in this relationship and it ain't you, it's me. And God, I just want you to know that I believe my ways are better than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And so I believe I can compromise with you and I can do some of what you say, but not all of what you say. No, to fear God is to say right up front, God, your word is true. Your ways are right. I will not try to negotiate with you. I will instead obey you. And can I say this? You're going to you're gonna fear someone. Oh, maybe not in the sense of trembling, but, but I'm telling you, you're gonna honor and listen to someone. You're gonna lean in when someone speaks. If money is your God, then, then I'm telling you, when you're around somebody that's highly successful, you're gonna be standing at attention. You're gonna be leaning in. You're gonna be listening to every word because you wanna know how they got their money so you can get that same amount of money. And if, if, if your God is popularity and fame, then, then anytime you're around somebody who's famous, you'll be going, man, could, could, I, get, could I get your autograph? And, and you're just, hey, there, there's, there's Troy Aikman. And, uh, you know, and 
I'll never forget one time, I think I was with Richard and I saw Troy Aikman and I'm like, hey, there's Troy Aikman, Troy Aikman, you know, and you ever do that? See, that's called honor, respect. You just want to lean in and hear everything someone says. Who, Who do you fear? Who do you honor? Is it a parent? Is it a boss, a mentor, a legend in your field? Imagine that you play football and you're in college, and you're graduating, and imagine that you're the last person chosen in the draft, just like Brock Purdy, and you have the title, Mr. Irrelevant. That's the title that they give you if you're the last person chosen. And, and imagine, though, instead of being drafted by the 49ers, you're drafted by Tampa Bay, and, and imagine that, that Tom Brady actually plays for Tampa Bay next year, and you're, you're drafted to be Tom Brady's backup. You, you telling me that, that if you're the backup to the GOAT, the greatest of all time, that you wouldn't be leaning in every time he said something, every time he did something, you'd be watching to see the way he reads the defenses. You'd be watching to see how many steps he takes in when he's backing up. You'd be watching his throwing motion. You would lean in because you are back up the goat, the greatest of all time. And here's what I'm telling you. And here's what God is telling you. Jesus Christ is the real goat. He's the greatest of all time. And if you're going to go deeper in surrender, you'll have to embrace fearing Jesus and standing awe in awe of Jesus. Stop trying to negotiate with Jesus and compromise with Jesus. You'll have to be willing to do what he says. Yield. Embrace his word as true no matter where society happens to push back on his words. Embrace what he says is true. Say, Jesus, no matter who agrees or disagrees, I embrace what you say about same-sex relationships. No matter what anyone else believes, Jesus, I'm going to listen to you about finances and giving the tithe. God, no matter what anyone else does or anyone else says or where society pushes back, I'm going to listen to what you say about not letting the sun go down on my anger. Any of y'all besides me ever try to compromise with God on that point? You go to bed and you are angry and God even brings this verse up to your mind and you're like me and you say, nope, I'm mad at Kim and I'll deal with it tomorrow, but not tonight, God, I've got to compromise on that. I'm not going to obey you. Anybody besides me ever do that? Nobody. One guy down here. That's amazing. You know, you just say, God, you know what? I'm gonna go with what you say about forgiving others seven times, 70 times. See, character is formed when we choose to believe Jesus and obey Jesus no matter what anyone else does. But our character is stymied and the formation stops when we begin to compromise and argue with Jesus and say, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of edit the word and I'm gonna, I'm gonna agree with this and disagree with that. I'm gonna obey here and I'm gonna ignore there. Compromise stymies growth. Do you hear, do you long to hear God say of you, here's a person who's blameless and upright? Then God's got to be able to say of you, and they got there. They got to that point because they fear God. And there's a second key 
He says that Job feared God and what? Turned away from evil. Job turns away. What does it mean to turn away from evil? It means you turn away from evil. You turn away from temptation. How many would agree, and I wanna see a show of hands because I wanna see if anyone is listening to me still. All right, ready? How many of you would say that turning away from evil is easier said than done? I wanna see by a show of hands. How many agree with that? That's, uh, that's nearly 50% of us. The rest of y'all, you gotta tell us the trick. I mean, because for me, it's easier said than done. But I gotta tell you this, I read... This past week, Philippians chapter two, verse 13, I encourage you to highlight this in your Bible, but read it in the New Living Translation. I read it for the very first time, the New Living Translation, it just kind of blew my mind. Because for me, turning away from evil is easier said than done, but in Philippians chapter two, verse 13, it says that God is working in you to give you the desire and the power to do what is pleasing to him. Think about that. You go, okay, God, you're convicting me that I need to surrender my life right here, but God, if, I, if it was easy, I'd have already done it, so God, can you help me to turn away from evil? Can you help me to surrender this to you? And then he says, yeah, just pray, just ask me. I'm already at work in you, so you just just ask me, God, will you give me the desire? Will you give me the power to do what is pleasing to you? God, will you give me the desire? Will you give me the power to do what is pleasing to you? That's the way we begin to turn away from evil, not in our strength or in willpower, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. See, to turn away from evil means that we have to Pray, God, search my heart and try me and show me if there's any wicked way in me. We have to ask God, show me the areas of my life that I've not fully surrendered to you. And then as God convicts us and shows us, we have to confess those sins. And then we have to pray, God, will you work in me to give me the desire and the power to do what is pleasing to you in that area of my life? I love what Jim Dennison says. If you've ever heard him talk any length of time at all, you've probably heard him say this, sin always takes you further than you wanted to go, keeps you longer than you wanted to stay, and costs you more than you wanted to pay. And he also says the other side of the coin is this, God forgives all we confess. See, if you ever wanna be blameless and upright before God, you gotta, you gotta do the other side of the coin. You gotta do what Job did. You gotta be willing to fear God and turn away from evil. You know, there's a story of one individual that in the early 1900s, just seemed to pull off fully surrendering his life to Jesus Christ. His name was William Borden. Maybe you've never heard that name, and that's okay. But he was the heir to the Borden fortune. Have you ever heard of Borden's milk? He, <laughs> I love that. He graduated from high school at 16 years of age. His parents gave him as a gift, a graduation gift, a trip around the world. Now keep in mind, the Borden fortune, they were one of the wealthiest families in America in the early 1900s. William Borden was, we could make a case for saying one of the wealthiest people on the planet, 16 years old. 
He goes around the world and on his around the world journey, he just became so burdened about the lostness of the people that he encountered, especially the time that he spent in China, he became burdened for their lostness and especially among those who were Muslims in China. And as William Borden prayed, God just began to convict his heart and convict him that he was calling William Borden to become a missionary to go to China to work among the Muslims in China. He came home and he told his parents, I have surrendered my life to the mission field. His parents begged him, don't throw your life away. You're going to come, you're going to take over the company, you're going to run the company, you can, you can do missions by giving, you can go on mission trips, but don't throw your life away, son. William Borden prayed and he refused to back down and the story goes, true story, in his Bible on the front cover, he wrote these words, no reserves. William Borden was saying, I'm not gonna reserve any part of my life to myself. I am not going to reserve any part back. I'm gonna surrender fully every part of my life to the Lord Jesus Christ, including his call for me to go as a missionary. William Borden went to Yale University, and after going to Yale University, he went to seminary, and upon graduation from seminary, he was making plans to head to the mission field. His father confronted him and said, son, don't go. If you go, you will be disinherited from the family fortune. William Borden informed his father that he was going and he wrote on the front cover of his Bible, right underneath the words, no reserves, he wrote, no retreat. He was declaring, I am not going to retreat from surrendering every part of my life to Jesus Christ. The story goes that he went to Egypt on his way to China to learn Arabic. Upon arrival in Egypt, Cairo, in just a very, very short span of time, he contracted spiral meningitis, and one month after contracting spiral meningitis, he was dead, 25 years old. But before he died, the story is told that he wrote on the cover of his Bible, right underneath, no reserves, no retreat. He wrote, no regrets. On his deathbed, he could say, I do not regret surrendering any part of my life to Jesus Christ. Now, there are many who would say, William Borden threw his life away. I do not believe God would say that, and I do not believe William Borden would say that. Here's the reality of his story, his life when he went to Yale. He was burdened by the spiritual depravity on the campus of Yale in the early 1900s. He started a Bible study with a prayer time, and, and in a matter of weeks, 150 students were showing up to this Bible study and this prayer time. By the time William Borden was a senior at Yale University, there were 1,300 students gathering weekly at this Bible study and prayer time, and history records that in the early 1900s, the spiritual 
climate on the campus of Yale University was transformed by these 1,300 students. He got to Cairo, Egypt, where he was going to be learning Arabic. He was burdened immediately by the lostness of the city of Cairo. And, and, it, and there was a, a seminary there. And, and, and just, I mean, within two weeks of his arrival in Cairo, he had already met with the student body of the seminary in Cairo. He had already organized them and they began to pass out tracts. And ultimately in the coming days, they passed out gospel tracts to 800,000 residents in Cairo, Egypt. And he died at 25 years of age in Cairo. He's buried in Cairo. And if you go, you can see his gravestone with this inscription on it to this day. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. No regrets. What am I inviting you to today? Number one, to write on the cover of your heart, no reserves. This day, I fully surrender my life to Jesus Christ because I want to hear God say of me, this is a blameless and upright person. No reserves. I'm not gonna hold anything back from Jesus. I'm gonna yield it all, surrender it all to Jesus. That begins with salvation, you know. It begins with the gospel. It begins with recognizing that the kingdom of God is very real and it is crashing into this earth and Jesus shall come again and fully establish his kingdom, not specifically on this earth because he's gonna create a new earth in a new heaven and he is gonna reign as Lord of lords and King of kings. And you and I, you know what he's done for us? He died on a cross, he he was buried, he rose again, conquering sin, death, Satan, and hell, and he tells us, he tells you this morning, the way to yield your life to him is by repenting of acting as if you are your own king, and then believe that Jesus Christ is the rightful king of your life, and then follow him, confess him as Lord and Savior and God. And, and at the end of the message, right back here in this glassed-in room, if you would like to take that step to trust Jesus as your Savior, there will be people who'd love to visit with you, pray with you. Maybe you need somebody to pray for you today. Maybe you want to talk to somebody about membership or baptism. Right back there is the way to just take a step of surrender at the next step room. What am I inviting you to do? Write on the cover of your heart, no reserves. And to write this on the cover of your heart, no retreat. See, it's easy to come to Jesus and then to kind of begin to back off and just kind of grab certain areas of our life and keep those for our own control, amen? And I'm inviting you to just come anew and afresh and just declare to Jesus, show me the areas that I'm holding on to. Show me the areas that I'm not yielding to you. And Jesus, I will repent and I will turn away from evil. Now, Lord, if it's easy, I'd have already done it, so I'm gonna have to pray, Lord, work in me to give me the desire and the power to do what is pleasing to you in this area of my life. And then I'm asking you today to write on the cover of your heart, no regrets. Because here's the reality. If you surrender your life to Jesus Christ fully every day, someday you will be lying on your deathbed. 
And I believe with every fiber of my being that you will be able to write on the cover of your heart, no regrets. No regrets. I do not regret one single thing that I fully surrendered to Jesus Christ. I have no regrets. See, God can write a better life, a better story for your life than you can, right? I'm sure William Borden would have never written the story of his life. Missionary, die, 25, in Cairo, Egypt. But I'm telling you, God has used his story to inspire people for over 100 years, including inspiring some today. And so I'm asking you to live a life where you can one day write, no regrets. As another famous William once said, every man dies, not every man truly lives. Every woman dies, not every woman truly lives. I'm asking you to enter into a life where there's no reserves, no retreats, and one day you'll realize no regrets. Will you pray with me? Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for inviting us to come and just surrender ourselves fully to you. And that's what we do right now. Lord, we surrender. We give you the parts that we've held back. And Lord Jesus, we ask you, would you work within us to give us the desire and the power to do what is pleasing to you in every area of our lives. May we live with no reserves, no retreat, and no regrets. We pray it in Jesus' holy name, amen.